2: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I do want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. China on! Yep, a senior medical advisor from the Chinese government tells us the coronavirus outbreak is peaking. It may be over by April, and that translates into a nice opening for the stock market. This scientist, Zong Nanshan, has street cred. He's an 83-year-old epidemiologist who helped fight SARS 17 years ago. Next thing you know, the market's making a stand, uh, although uh, that move didn't last, with the Dow ultimately sinking less than a half a point, S&P gaining 0.17%, and then NASDAQ inching point. up, but at one point the market was flying all of this. Suddenly, you see, what's happened is there's a bull case developing. A China bull case. We're getting our first data that shows a much higher percentage of people are recovering from the disease while fewer are dying, which suggests that maybe we're through the most lethal stage. More importantly, at least as far as the stock market's concerned, a legendary hedge fund manager, Ray Dalio, comes out and says concern about the outbreak is exaggerated. According to Dalio, hardly anybody's going to be talking about this virus in a year or two. Well, that's exactly what we needed. A good old-fashioned hedge fund manager telling us the fears are overdone? And come on in, the water's fine, okay? I know he didn't say that. But that's how the market interpreted his comments or misinterpreted him. So what happens? I think we've got a sneak peek into what this market will look like once this outbreak's truly beat. And to me, it looks like a coiled spring. Let's go to the tape. First is the cruise ships. Despite some unappealing steps recommended by the CDC yesterday that make these quarantine ships sound like floating hospitals, anything that gives these companies relief is met with massive short covering and massive buying. Hope Springs Eternal. Royal Caribbean, and Norwegian cruise both jumped roughly 3%. Even the beleaguered Carnival with its floating sick bay off the coast of Japan rallied a buck and change. Why not? One day the Chinese will beat this, and as Dalio says, they won't be talking about it or thinking about it a year or two. Next, the hotels move up for the same reason. Marriott picked up a ton of China when it bought Starwood four years ago. The stock jumps a buck and a half today. Almost at it's high. Wind Resorts is roaring, too. Why not? If the disease is really peaking, the gamblers are coming right back to Macau. How about the semis? Yes, the semiconductors with Chinese exposure. Well, yesterday, the cloud stocks soared, while the more cyclical semis got hammered, along with one of their biggest customers, Apple. Today, though, we saw some excellent action in NVIDIA, NXP Semi, AMD, Skyworks, Siris Logic, Corvo. Broadcom, although Apple wasn't able to lift. Of course, these chip makers benefit from more than just China. When a federal judge blessed the merger of T-Mobile and Sprint, big surprise there, it unleashed a flood of euphoria as Wall Street's now betting the combined company will be a powerhouse of spending for 5G. All these semis have a stake in 5G, but there wouldn't be any rally without China. The semiconductor equipment stocks erupted too, another sure sign of corona confidence. The airlines' pathetic hangers on in the China trade all rallied. United's the cheapest with the most China exposure. The Chinese-oriented industrials had a super day. Caterpillar, Emerson, 3M, Honeywell, Cummins taking off. They can always be counted on for for dreams of sweet Chinese orders. Same with PPG and Illinois Toolworks, both the betters of high-end autos made in China. Now, yesterday, while I explained why oil and gas stocks are uninvestable for the long term, I predicted that we could get a bounce in the stocks that have been beaten down the moment there's anything positive about China. And that's what we're getting, especially if it looks like the Trump is going to be reelected. Regardless of how you might feel personally, the stock market loves the guy. With crude briefly making a China-related stand at $50 a barrel, I'm betting the oil cheerleaders will be out in full force tomorrow, touting the producers with the big yields and tremendous growth prospects. I don't want you to believe the hype. I want you to lighten up into any strength. The group's not investable. You know where the big money was made today? Shorting the China off stocks. That meant going against the pop of the opening in Microsoft. Do you know what? That was a six-point gain if you did that. It meant slamming the cloud kinks like Adobe or VMware or Workday because they just don't have that much China business. It meant banging down the high-flying Clorox because who needs to stockpile bleach if the epidemic's peaking? The thing about this strategy is they can work for a day. But longer than that? I think it's a fool's game. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Here's what you have to do when you have something like this. You have to find your true north. You have to find someone you trust, someone you believe in, someone you follow, and someone, if you have to, hang on every word. And I've got my guy. His name is Dr. Tony Fauci. That's F-A-U-C-H-C-I F-A-U-C-I, but it's pronounced Fauci. He's an immunologist and director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, the National Institutes of Health. He's been on our air. I've never spoken to him personally, but I read everything he says. Now, if this guy were a hedge fund manager, he'd be Ray Dalio. He's been right every single step of the way on this virus as well as every other one I've followed him with. Yesterday, he gave an interview in The Washington Post, and my takeaway was, you you should be buying the China off stocks. Because his message was anything but reassuring. Listen to this. Fauci says when, when it comes to the coronavirus, quote, the general public is naive with regard to protection and it has serious potential because it's already spreading rapidly, end quote. So then he's asked, can it be contained? Quote, the short answer, he says, is we're not past the point of containment, but it really does have the potential to turn to a global pandemic. He then continues, Once you get multiple countries that have sustained transmission from person to person, then it's almost inevitable that it's going to start spreading here. End quote. Ouch. Travel bans? No. They're just merely buying time. They probably won't work. Fauci wants to help. The CDC wants to help. The NIH wants to help. The Chinese? They don't want those organizations' help. Not reassuring. That's why I want to take the other side of today's trade, why I find today's trade just instructive and nothing more. See, they show you where the coil springs are when Fauci changes his mind. I don't know when he's going to. He's real good, though. Remember, the global economy is slowing because of this virus. I suspect that most of the stocks that were up today have estimates on the street that are going to prove to be too high because of the outbreak and will need to be cut. Yes, we heard chatter on the Hill that Fed Chief Powell is our back if things get out of control. But what we see in China is a country that seems a little too out of control to believe they contain the disease. And therefore, while I don't want to conflate life with money, I have to tell you, I think when estimates come down, stocks go down. Look, I want very much to throw all of my body and all of my brain with the 83-year-old Chinese doctor or the brilliant Ray Dalio. My instinct is to say that come April, it will die out like most fluid breaks, although if we don't solve it, it'll come right back in the the winter. But so far, so far, you have to be encouraged by the travel ban's effectiveness in this country, 13 cases. But this one's way beyond the ken of most investors and commentators. We're not epidemiologists. Hedge fund managers aren't. Plus, the disease can be episodic. I look at a John Hopkins chart that shows the numbers that recovered. Right now there're a growing amount of recovered versus the dead. It seems like an improving ratio. However, if you notice, after a big flurry of hope, lots of news articles, headlines, there's no luck with any vaccine. There's no luck with any medicines used before for other kinds of flu. There's nothing that any biotech company's been able to come up with, perhaps because the Chinese haven't exactly been super forthcoming. I have tremendous faith in our scientists but I have more faith in Tony Fauci telling it like it is. And I don't like how it is. The bottom line, until Fauci grows more positive, changes his view. Until he says something optimistic, until he disavows the notion of a public health nightmare in other countries around the globe, I'm saying that I am staying squarely in the China off camp. You know what? I recommend that you join me. Let's go to Ryan in Oregon. Ryan. Booyah, Dr. Prima. Booyah.
3: Thanks for taking my call. And thank you for all that you do for the young investors out there.
2: Oh, here. thank you, man. Thank you very much. I'm calling about one of your uh, favorite 5G stocks, Marvell. It's had a good year. However, it's down about 10% over the last three months, and it just had a double downgrade late last week. Uh, is it still your favorite uh, 5G pick? And if so, is this a good time to buy? Okay, we put out a, a note today for members of the ActionLunchPlus.com club saying that it is still very much a 5G play. Um Now, the double downgrade was disconcerting, and we mentioned that. And we did say, listen, there is some concern because 5G is slowing in all these countries because of the virus. So, like many companies, are its numbers, are its estimates too high? It could be. Do we believe in the stock? I think it's going to be a little bit delayed. That said, the stock was up big today. And in our note, we made it very clear that the story is not, well, let's just say the story is disconcerting. And i got to say that I want every story to be great. But they have to be great in order to say they're great. There's a lot of slowdown in 5G around the globe. Let's go to Philip in North Carolina, please. Philip. Hey, Jim. Yo. Hey, North Carolina. First in freedom and first in flight. Didn't know that. That's Uh, right. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Go ahead. Hey, uh, I'm trying to make a play in the uh, cannabis market. I've noticed that
4: uh, to the four states I've visited, the demand is growing and growing strong.
2: So I'm looking at Kronos uh, Group, C-R-O-N. What do you think? Well, if you're going to look at one, I always return to Canopy. Uh, Canopy's got this guy, David Klein, very serious business person, former CFO of Constellation Brands. Kronos uh, not as good. Uh, but remember, my feeling on the industry is is that it got too hot and a lot of people got burned. I'm staying the China off camp for now. Consider doing the same. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, why Simon Properties' Taubman Center's buy is so important, and which group in this market could be ripe for similar consolidation. Then the market's been on a tear in spite of the coronavirus outbreak. But could we be due for a breather? I'm going to go off the charts to find out. And Columbia Sportswear is tested tough. But could unusually warm weather be bad news for the company? I'm talking to the CEO to see if it's post-earnings decline is a buying opportunity. So stay with Cramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cNBC.com.
5: at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Is the mall ready to make a comeback? If you'd asked me that question last week, my answer would be absolutely not. But now the game has changed because yesterday we got a statement by. I'm talking about Simon Property Group's takeover of Taubman Centers, one of the premier shopping mall owners in America, for $52.50 in cash per share. That was a 51% premium to where the stock was trading. It's a monster bid, one that's generous to a fall. Or at least it looks generous. Yet Talbot's stock blew right through it, fifty-two fifty. dollars It's now 53 and change, perhaps because there are shareholders who want more from Simon, or perhaps there's another bidder lurking, though that does seem unlikely. I have no idea why Simon's paying such a colossal premium. But Chairman President and CEO David Simon is the acknowledged dean of the industry. And if he thinks it's a good price, then who am I to criticize? I think the big bid may be a recognition of just how cheap this whole group's become. And they are cheap. Even after this huge bid, Talman sells. Well, it's got a, it sports a 5% yield. Why do I call this a statement buy? Because when you listen to the conference call on the merger, you'll hear Simon talk about how he can fund the deal as he says, quote, without ever going to third-party financing, end quote. More importantly, he's not giving away his precious equity denier. Simon continues, quote, if you look at the multiple of earnings, EBITDA, net asset value, any metric you want, we are undervalued. Now, I have no desire to issue stock at this time, end quote. Hey, that's a staggering indictment of the stock market's inability to correctly value Simon's stock versus his assets, I think it's weighed down by the real estate investment trust ETFs because Simon's one of the best fund players in the industry. It's paid out a staggering $33 billion in dividends in its time, but a poorly performing REIT fund will crush the good with the bad. Now, Talbot's largely a collection of the finest malls. i have one literally down the block from me. I can walk to it. The mall at Short Hills. While there's been turnover at the mall, and even Marcus is made as an anchor is probably a suspect t- tenant because of that ugly balance sheet. It's still a destination worth going to. They've got a fabulous set of foreign, uh, of high-end foreign specialty stores. Best Apple retail outlet I've ever been to, and I think that says a lot. That said, I think these mall REITs get judged based on their weakest tenants. They have seven that belong to once large, large companies that have gone too small for me to mention in the show. Three Lord and & Taylor's and four Macy's. All these places are not so hot. But Simon says they'll have replacements for these stores that are really fantastic. That's his term. I think he's got something big up his sleeve because he was able to capture Forever 21 in bankruptcy. He really wanted it. Along with Brookfield Property Proper, smart guys, and Authentic Brands. Oh, wow. Excuse me. These guys are really smart. They paid just $81 million. I thought they bought nothing. There's got to be something up their sleeves. Authentic likes brand value, so they must see something. Simon and Brookfield could stand to make a lot of money if they can lease these properties for much more than they would have gotten from Forever 21. Now, put these both together, and you can see a picture of a determined, smart real estate visionary who thinks his stock is too low, despite the perils of brick and mortar in an Amazon world. Simon has an alternative to the stores that are closing, and if he's right that he can bring in better stores, getting out of these contracts with poorly performing retailers, I think it could be a huge win. So why is this so important besides just thinking that Simon's stock is cheap? Because you know what? There's another group that's right for a similar kind of consolidation. It's the oil and gas stocks. The fossil fuel stocks have collapsed here, but as I pointed out recently and repeatedly, while I think they're uninvestable, I think that they can do something to help themselves. If an oil CEO who believes in the industry wants to put his money where his mouth is, it's time to stand up and make a statement by like David Simon has done. The longer we don't get one, the more likely it is that the energy stocks deserve to be down. So will someone stand up and play Simple Simon? The clock is ticking. The bell is tolling. Polling for the entire oil and gas group. Now, is anyone listening? Stick with Kramer.
1: Tomorrow, kick off the trading
2: day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post Nine at the NYSE. And David, I do not think that Google's going to buy Tesla. How did that get started? I, it didn't. Well, no, it did Well, it... Did I just killed... It's you. a story meeting at 4 I'm blaming Carl. That's where it started. Oh, well, that's great. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to do a hustle takeover review. you. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
2: tell when this raging bull market could be ready to lose some steam now we've had a phenomenal run here with the averages surging your new highs in spite of the coronavirus outbreak could we be due for a breather that's what everyone's asking me now we want to be you can't be emotional about this which is why we're going to take a more quantitative more empirical approach we're going off the charts with the help of bob moreno Now, Bob is a brilliant technician who happens to be my colleague at RealMoney.com, where I blog. He's also the publisher of RightViewTrading.com. Now, in recent years, Bob Marino has been having some real good calls. He's nailed some big ones. So let's just go review his history. I want you to take a look at the daily chart of the S&P 500. This is what we've got here, right? Remember, in December of 2018, when the whole market was breaking down, everyone was terrified. Remember this? The Federal Reserve kept telling us they had to destroy the economy in order to save it. Well, the panic was palpable. But Bob Moreno wasn't panicking. No. His indicators told him that the S&P 500 was likely near a bottom. And that's what he told us. This was a total home run call. As the market bottomed a week later after one last precipitous drop. I know I used it. I used it because I just thought that Bob really had it nailed. From there, the S&P 500 caught fire, and we had a terrific V-shaped recovery through the first couple months of 2019. The best kind. People made fortunes during that period. How did Marino know that the pain was almost over? Because he took a longer view when you zoomed out. The late 2018 decline looked less like the end of the world, more like a garden variety sell-off, as I often talk to you about. The market had consolidated some huge gains. The fear, oh my. The buy, fantastic. Now, then, roughly a year ago, Marino hit it off the, out of the park again. Last February, commentators started having doubts about the rally. I don't know if you remember that, but they were really, really frightened. Uh, so... What he did uh, was he figured it out, and he figured that it would fail. Moreno told us to be cautiously optimistic, though, and said the S&P would ultimately take out its highs at 29.30. Let's see. If you reached those levels, he told us to expect a multi-month period of consolidation, perhaps all the way through till September. Why? Because that's the historical pattern. You get a big move up, and then the market needs to trade sideways to digest those gains. Turns out that was an eerily... Accurate prediction. We got seven months of consolidation in the middle of last year. You can see it in the rising triangle. Uh, That's the pattern that people call it. That Uh, the S&P makes a series of higher lows under a ceiling of resistance at 3,250. There's your ceiling, higher lows. Okay, but eventually, the market does what Marino predicted. It breaks out and resumes its long march higher. This time, he came up with a new forecast. He told us that based on the size of the triangle pattern, he expected the S and P to roar to the 3,300 level. Now, those technical tools aren't perfect. See, because in October, he also saw a number of indicators turning negative. So he got a lot more bearish. He got this one wrong. I love the fact that a guy admits he wrong, gets it wrong. As he said, as he saw it, the S&P had another triangle pattern. This time he expected a breakdown rather than a breakout. In the end, that was indeed a mistake. The S&P never retested its forward when support. And we got yet another, this didn't have another upside. Okay. Still, I mean, look—you you, you gotta just respect the fact that he made this big call. and He got this call, so his track record, I think, is real good over the last year. So now that the S and P's cleared his long-term upside target of three 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 zero, with points to spare, by the way, where is it headed? Okay, now this time, reader wants to do something. It's a little different. He's going to use the daily chart. I've never seen this one—the daily chart of the equal-weighted S and P five hundred index. The normal S&P is weighted by market capitalization, meaning gigantic companies like Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet have a lot of heft. Basically, the normal S&P is skewed in favor of the biggest of the big, which we know have been red hot. The equal weighted version of the S&P gives all 500 stocks in the index the same weight. Think of it as the Bernie Sanders version. Marina likes looking at the equal weight S&P because it's a more accurate representation of the market's underlying dynamics. So what does Marina see in this picture? First, the equal weight S&P is only just now testing its January high. Just now. Trying to get back there, okay? Uh, unlike the normal S&P, which is already broken to a new high. On top of that, last week, Marina spotted what's known as an evening star pattern. New pattern for me. This is a three-day formation. First you get a large up day, then you get a sedate day where the stock in question closes not far from where it opened, and finally you get a large down day. Well, an evening star pattern often represents a transition in investor sentiment from bullishness to a more neutral stance, often to outright bearishness, which is why it's widely, widely considered to be a reliable bearish reversal signal. However, after the strength in the S&P over the last couple of days, it's looking like the pattern's wrong. I mean, jeez, we're in a confusing moment, aren't we? But most importantly, Moreno notes that the equal weight S and P is currently in a consolidation channel, with a clearly defined ceiling of resistance at forty eight hundred, where it peaked in January. Uh, And a clearly defined floor of support at 4,600, where it bottomed during the recent sell-off. If the index can break out above that ceiling, that would tell Moreno that the market's got more room to run. His measured move uh, technique suggests that it could then rally another 4% if it breaks out of this. On the other hand, if the equal weight S&P bounces off the ceiling of resistance and can't get through that, He thinks you'll see a return to the floor of support at 4,600, which is down roughly 4% from here. This would drag the normal market cap S&P 500 down, too. And if that floor at 4,600 doesn't hold, the next support level is the 200-day moving average, which is now down 7% from here. That would translate to a 9% decline in the market cap weighted S&P, and that's an ouch. Understand, Miranda's not saying that we're going to have a big breakdown. He's saying that we're at an important decision point for the market. And given how much we've run, well, the risk reward isn't in your favor If you just let it ride, if you don't take something off the table, which is how I feel you should, that's what we talk about all the time when I meet with our Action Alerts crew. What can we take off? What can we take off? We want to be disciplined. We want to keep a lot on the sheets. But the bottom line, if you want to get a read on this market, Moreno says you should stop watching the S&P 500, which is distorted by the huge rallies and the trillionaires like Amazon. Instead, you got to focus on the equal-weighted S&P 500 the charts, as interpreted by Moreno, suggest that we could go either way here, although the potential downside if things go wrong might be larger than the potential upside if things go right, which is why I say you should trim a little bit. Not a lot, but you should trim a little bit. I want to go to Nancy in Maine. Nancy.
0: Hi, Jim. I'm a longtime listener, and I've been in the market for over 35 years. Wow. Great. Yeah, my, my question is
2: about stock splits. They were common up until around two thousands, but I haven't seen the stocks within my portfolio since the 1990s. Oh, okay, there's a it? reason. The in the big companies We're convinced by the large institutional traders that if they're going to buy stock at a a certain penny or two penny or three penny cents, three, three cents per share, it'd be much better if the companies just don't split their stock. It's a complete cave in to the big guys, to the big funds and leaving you and me thinking, well, that's just great. Now we can't buy a couple of shares. We have to buy a fraction of a share. Thank heaven some of the brokers are offering fractions of the share. But it's the big institutions prevailing and telling them, don't split your stock. We don't want to pay that much per share. you got to help us. And they are, and it's really a betrayal of the little guy. I need to go to Christos in Connecticut, please. Christos. <laughs> Booyah, Professor, a.k.a. Jimmy Chill. How, how, how talented is, that, is this gentleman? Uh, what's going Thank on? Thank you very much. Happy you know my wife says? says I'm not Jimmy Chill. So my wife says I'm not Jimmy Chill. But I don't care. My <laughs> daughter says I am. Let's go. So, Jim, last year, I made 27% of my portfolio. I did it by buying in increments and selling in increments, just like you suggest, while simultaneously doing my homework on all the companies I own. Perfect. Starting in December, up, and up to 10 days ago, I kept selling to the point that I'm actually 85% cash. Wow! Fifteen percent stocks. I'm currently up four point one percent year to date, and I bought for the first time last Friday the triple Qs when the market drops. Okay. At this point, should I hold or should I start buying? I again? think you don't have enough stock. I do think the market's going to come down, and you'll be able to build positions. But I don't like that little stock and that much cash because I still think the market represents a great alternative. I totally get it. I know that a lot of people feel that the market's gone too far too fast. But I think we're still okay, and that the discipline is to try to keep some stock on. I want you to bulk up and buy more on the way down. All right, guys, we're at an important decision point for the market. I want you to keep your eye on the equal weighted SP 500. That's much, that, that is really probably the best indicator right now. Hey, more mad money ahead, including my suits with the CEO of Columbia Sportswear. After a warmer winter, it's the stock feeling chill? I'm Jimmy Chill, I should know. Then it's a company that could help with the development of a coronavirus vaccine. But what could it mean for the stock? I'm talking to the CEO of Charles River Labs, and all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Even after this market spectacular run, there are still bargains out there, but you gotta know where to look for them. Not everything's making new highs day after day. Take Columbia Sportswear, the apparel company you might also recognize as Sorel Mountain Hardware and Prana, among other brands. It's a brand that we use all the time at home. Last year, Columbia surged to the triple digits, but then the stock peaked, and it spent the last six-odd months trending lower. It's now down 19 bucks from its highs, but fortunately, there's a reason for its underperformance. This company was a big loser from the trade war. They sourced a lot of merchandise in China, and then they had too much inventory in the second half of last year before getting hit with warm weather, which is not great when you're selling outerwear. When Columbia reported last week, the company delivered a very... Good, I'd say top and bottom line beat for the fourth quarter. But they paired that with, yes, some guidance that was light for the coming year. The forecast was particularly dispiriting because it it doesn't even include the coronavirus related disruptions that could be happening. And that's why the stock got hit on Friday, down four percent. But now, wait a second. This is a terrific brand. So the question is, has this thing been punished enough? Does it represent real value? So we got to take a closer look with Tim Boyle. He's the chairman, president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear. Get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Boyle, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Thanks, Jim. It's great to be
2: with you. Uh, First, Tim, I want to extend my condolences. You, as you said in your conference call, you did lose our one tough mother who had a pretty good ma- mantra, didn't she, as a matriarch?
4: Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's unfortunate, and, and she had a great run. I mean, you know, 95 is a big number. She actually came to work almost every day up till maybe six months or so before she died. So, you know, her her uh, persona and her way of looking at things, how she, she and, and frankly, I ran the business together uh, with Hopefully we'll continue, and, and I know that we're going to continue to rely on her her thoughts and mantra about, you know, it's perfect, now just make it better uh, for a long time.
2: She never stood her on quality, did she?
4: No, I mean, that's, that's how you uh, differentiate yourself. As we've talked before, that nobody needs another brand of footwear apparel. There's plenty in the globe to satisfy almost every need. And so what you have to have is a point. Of differentiation and for us Gert personified that as well as you know the the other innovations etc., that we rely on heavily but uh, our brand is is strong all of our brands are strong and uh, we're just gonna rely on keeping our heads down and working hard
2: okay so I I I know that when you're making outerwear that's as beautiful and as tough and rugged as you make it does help to have a couple of cold days and if you don't then it's not top-of-mind Do you think we just weren't top of mind during what it managed to be a pretty warm winter so far? Well, you know,
4: um, we we talk about this a lot inside the company uh, because we've been doing this kind of work, making seasonal products for about 40 years. So, you know, if we hadn't been up against a really super cold weather last year, you know, our numbers probably still look pretty good. Um, but you, you have to have cold weather to handle outerwear to, to make seasonal products. And frankly, that's the reason we have such a strong balance sheet is to make sure that we're in the business a long time. We've got the capacity to to make to weather any kind of storm uh, or or lack thereof. Uh, and really, that's how we rely on making good product and having it be available. And but it does help if, if the weather's very cold and snowy.
2: Well, it, to some degree, even though you couldn't tell from the numbers, you did have. A little bit of a perfect storm that was tough for you. Uh, You do a lot of business in China. We have the coronavirus. Not sure how that's going to impact you yet. And you also source some in China. Can you speak to the China problems and China opportunities?
4: Certainly. Well, um, you know, almost any company anywhere, their supply chain goes through China. So we're not different from others. Uh, We do have a business selling product in China. It's mid-single digits uh, a component of our total revenues, and you know, our our first focus on when we're talking about the coronavirus is really making sure our employees and our partners in China are healthy and and taking care of themselves. And I can reply, report that they are. That having been said, um, we really don't know the impact of the full full impact globally because we have China tourists visiting our stores in. In Beijing, in uh, in Tokyo, uh, here in the U.S. and in Canada, and other places in the world, so it's hard to quantify exactly what will happen. Um, but as it relates to the supply chain, you know, any country that can build two hospitals in ten days uh, will quickly recover from from impacts. And uh, our expectation is that once this settles down, uh, that they'll quickly. Uh, bring close to normalcy to the to the business.
2: Are, are your factories open?
4: Some of our factories o- are open. You know, uh, when we talk about uh, production that's destined for the U.S., only a small percentage of our of our total production from China uh, comes directly from China into the U.S. There is a larger percentage that goes globally, but the biggest impact is on the supply chain because uh, garments and and footwear products that we make. All have at least some impact from China production. There are factories that are, that are coming back online after Chinese New Year, and as you know, uh, China almost completely shuts down during Chinese New Year. So there was an extended period of time where we made sure that uh, our employees and our partners' employees were, were well-organized and, and safe. But some of the factories are coming back online now. Some are working uh, at home, but um, there, there has been some movement to open these factories.
2: Well, it does seem to me that uh, the, the times that I've seen the warm weather hurt you, not to the China part, but the warm weather, it's always been the time to buy, not sell. People like to buy it when it's freezing. They should be buying it, right, when, it's been, when you're in there buying with the company money because you know that it does get cold again sometime.
4: It does, and, and we not to disparage uh, the investing community, but when it snows in New York City, our share price goes up.
2: Oh, that's typical. God. All right. Well, look again. Uh, sorry for your loss. What a titan she was. A one-tough mother. I like that. And uh, that's Tim Boyle. He's chairman, president, CEO of Columbia Sports. We're great to see you, sir. Thanks, Jim. You buy it when it's warm. You can sell it when it's cold, but you don't buy it when it's freezing. That yeah, money's back after the break. It is time It's over the light. We're going to start with round and The same as soon. Bye bye bye. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Time for the light round. We're going to start with Ilya. Yeah. In New York, Ilya. Hi, Jim. Buja. Hi, Buja. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Thank you. I have a question on Facebook. Well, Yolkin, it's, it's outfit downgraded it today. I really said some negative things. I think you think about Facebook as being this incredible growth engine over the long term. Inexpensive, chart bad, Instagram good. Uh, buy it if it goes down below 200. We've sold some higher fractional alerts for the club. I will buy. It. I want to try to buy it back lower. Let's go to Dave in Arizona. Dave. Hey, booyah, Jimmy. Chill. How's it going? Uh, the chill man is good. How about you?
4: Hanging in there, thanks. Hey, yeah, I was calling today to get your thoughts on VMware. I, I think VMware approach.
2: has done a lot of... Virtualization was mentioned many times on many calls about ways to be able to make it so the data center is more efficient. We have Sanjay Poonen on all the time. I think the stock ah, is a buy. Let's go to Aiden in New Jersey. Aiden.
1: Hi, this is Kara, Aiden's mom. Oh, hi. <laughs> um, hold on. Here's Aiden. He's 15. Hold on.
2: Hi, Mr. Kramer. Uh, I'm Aiden, I'm from New Jersey. Uh, the stock I have a question on is Amcor Technology Incorporated, uh, ticker symbol AMKR. Well, that's uh, an interesting. That's about, it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry. So about uh, yesterday, I had uh, seen it, and it had done pretty well in the earnings today. So I was up around, uh, uh, let me see, it was up a couple of dollars today, and I thought it did uh, pretty well. I just wanted to know uh, your thoughts on it. Look, I, I happen to like this, business the stock is a huge after to poured those earnings. I mean, it's gigantic. It was a classic beaten race for the semiconductor uh, manufacturing industry. And you've got a good one. I don't think it's done. Uh, but don't chase. Don't chase, because its stock went up more than 10% today. And how do you like that 15-year-old calling? Let's go to John in Ohio. John. Hey, Jim. Big old booyah from the Miami of the Midwest, Cleveland, Ohio. There you go. Long-time listener, first-time okay. caller. My dad and I go back and forth about this REIT all the time and I'd like to get your opinion. It's one of the largest largest
0: excuse me, largest mortgage real estate investment trusts and they pay a 10% annual dividend. The company is Analy Capital Management. Annaly Capital, no. And- I, you know, they own
2: a lot of different kinds of pieces of paper and they arbitrage and it's fine. They got a nice yield and it's done okay, but I just feel like in the end I like growth and it doesn't have it. I invest in stocks for growth. Go to Sam in Massachusetts. Please, Sam. Thank you, Mr. Kramer, for everything you do. I was uh, wondering if you could share your thoughts on Agilent. Symbol A. I have liked test and measurement and the added life sciences for ages. This, this is not got kind of life since it was spun off. I know it, I know it ramped up and then came back down. I am a. I would be a buyer right here of letter A. Matt in Florida, Matt! Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Booyah to you. Wow, like that. What's going on? Hey, with the coronavirus fears, do you see a buying opportunity down the road for Carnival, CTL? I I don't want to own Carnival. Uh, Look, I think the numbers are too high. Let the estimates be cut. These cruise ships are just, there's cruises to nowhere now. I am very concerned. I don't want to be involved with that stock right now. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the 90 round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: Some stocks just don't know the meaning of the word quit. Look at Charles River Labs, the symbol there is CRL, the contract research organization that gives universities and biopharma companies the tools they need to discover new drugs and conduct clinical trials, right down to the lab rats. I've often described this company as an arms dealer to the pharmaceutical industry, so when the drug stocks went out of style last year, Charles River did too. By last November, the stock was trading in the 120s, but then the whole pharma complex came roaring back. By last night, Charles River was back up to 157. And then we came in this morning and the company reported a blowout quarter of solid revenue B with a huge earnings beat, uh, even better. Management gave us a very bullish forecast for 2020, and that's why the stock caught fire, surging more than $15, nearly 10% today, to record high territory. I like to think of this as a belated birthday present, so can the thing keep climbing? Hey, let's check out with Jim Foster, the chairman and CEO of Charles River Labs, to learn more about this terrific quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Foster, welcome back to Mad Money.
3: Always great to be here, Jim.
2: Jim, I got to tell you, you're one of the few people I know that has real demand. I mean, not manufactured demand, but real demand to the point where you have to do a program called Cradle, where you're literally expanding around the country, areas like Cambridge, areas like South San Francisco. Why is it that you have so much business?
3: The uh, the drug companies are uh, growing exponentially. Biotech companies. Uh, are growing by the thousands. They have no internal capability and the big pharmaceutical companies are dismantling their own internal capability and so when we set up these cradles which are these sort of incubator sites in Cambridge, Mass, and we just opened one in South San Francisco, we're close to a whole cadre of of small growing biotech companies and a few large uh, pharma companies who use our uh, space to to do their studies. Our people uh, work on the on the studies with theirs And it's uh, a way for them to expand their capabilities and a way for biotech not to make that initial investment when they are just starting out and watching their cash.
2: I know that the uh, transcript didn't go into this as much as I would have liked, but would you describe most of these companies as trying to be oncological in nature?
3: I'd say the vast majority of the work being done now is in oncology. And there obviously have been enormous breakthroughs in oncology because of immunotherapy and... Now, with the advent of cell and gene therapy, there probably will be more. But there's a fair amount of work in CNS and cardiovascular work and and inflammation. So it's across multiple multiple therapeutic areas. The the innovation that's coming out of biotech uh, right now is really stunning and. They continue to be the discovery engines for the big pharmaceutical industry and making the world a, 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 literally a healthier place for all of us.
2: I think there are a lot of people because of the coronavirus think you know what we've got all these great biotech companies, got these great drug companies. They can just turn their research on a dime and come up with something.
3: That is clearly not the way the pharma industry works. Correct. Uh, it. Uh, I think biotech companies are smaller and more focused, typically working on a single indication, and so often with a smaller number of people, they can move more in a more agile fashion. Uh, a lot of the drug companies are much larger. They obviously uh, have significant breakthroughs as well, but the combinations of the big drug companies often doing the funding and the biotech companies actually doing the basic research is working very well. So you're seeing a lot of collaborations. You're also seeing a lot of big drug companies not care where the drug uh, is actually discovered or where it comes from, as long as somebody has a druggable target and then the the pharma company can buy the company or buy the drug or work with them to get it to market. So you're seeing um, enormous collaborations between pharma and biotech, academic centers as well, and companies like Charles River in the middle of it all helping them refine their cost structures, speed up the process of getting drugs to market, um, and allowing them to do oftentimes more with less. And and our goal is to take a year of the drug discovery process, which is, uh, that would be very powerful. We would be very proud of that. And in addition to working on 85% of the drugs last year, if we can get uh, more drugs to market faster, um, that's extremely beneficial and saves the drug companies billions of dollars in time yeah, and I want, money.
2: I want to again, you put a number in that I think is kind of shocking. You're involved with eighty five percent. I mean, that is as close to monopoly as you're going to get.
3: Well, you know, we're we're very proud of that number. We work really, we've worked really hard to get there. We built this big portfolio of products and services. So. We're a more holistic solution for our clients. I would say it's our best recruiting tool. We have people that want to come and work across a whole portfolio of uh, drugs for a lot of different companies. To work for a company that worked on almost all the drugs that were approved last year, I think really lights up our workforce. We, we, we recruit some people out of Big Pharma and biotech and academia who want to be close to that. Uh, you also have to think about the fact that we worked on a bunch of drugs that Never got to market, right, and, and that's right. equally it's an equally important it 's an equally important activity that we 're involved in by helping them uh, helping them kill the drug earlier in the process
2: okay, so Jim okay. W- right. All right, can we talk about China for a sec? Uh, you know sure. when I saw that you have China, you have this rather small microbial detection business. What I worry about is is that when you mention China, it's really about making sure the operation works. It, it, are the Chinese? I wish I were reading this that the Chinese have come to us and said, "Could you help us solve it?"
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, our, our Chinese operations work really well. You know, we have a research model business there and a microbial solutions business and. Uh, with regard to research models, we're really helping educate the whole Chinese market on the value of high-quality research models to develop their drugs. I think we can help elevate the whole craft there and, um, a- and help them move move forward in a much more expeditious fashion. They've been using lower-quality research models. So uh, it's, it's going to be a very big drug discovery and development market, uh, obviously for a very large population. and. So we're looking forward to continuing to make a difference in China.
2: Excellent. All right. Well, that's Jim Foster, Chairman and CEO, Charles River Labs. Congratulations, sir. on just a remarkable quarter and a great run. Thanks, Jim. When you have 85 percent of a market, you're going to have good gross margins. You're going to make a lot of money for your shareholders to you do a lot of good. And that's Charles River Labs. I have liked this stock for more than 100 points. And I'm telling you, I'm sticking with it. Stay right there, because you don't want to miss a CNBC special report on the ever-changing, dynamic coronavirus outbreak. Tonight's hosted by Contessa Brewer, coming up next. I wish I had more, uh, let's say, positive news, like everyone else seems to have, about the coronavirus. I think it's making me feel like that this China on, go buy the Chinese stocks is not a good idea. I think it's better to sell them. Like to say, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you i find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The CBC Special Report begins
0: now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.